Welcome to Afterlives with Kara Cooney, in which we discuss ancient Egyptian history and relevant current events that we think will be of interest to our audience. I am Kara Cooney, and I'm a professor of Egyptology at UCLA. This podcast is separate from my teaching and research roles at UCLA. In recent years, I've become active in communicating with the general public about the history of ancient Egypt through lectures, interviews, social media, books, and guest appearances. This podcast is my opportunity to take the kinds of deep dives into history that are not always possible in academic formats. So how are you doing? I'm okay. I'm overworked and stressed. Yep. But who isn't in America these days? Well, I always thought like being back in person and... Oh, no, being back in person, but then having to do Zoom. Also hybrids. Exactly. It's like twice as much work. And then I don't have my ways, and you know I have no sense of direction. Yes. So I'm like, I think I just keep going down Westwood, and then I have the zoom on, but then I have to go back to my ways, and it's like, it's ridiculous. Oh, I it's know. It's ridiculous. Uh, what are we talking about today? We are doing the God's Wives of Amun. It's a complicated subject. There's lots to talk about. Lots it goes to on talk for hundreds about. of years, and it changes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So... Let's it's get a, into it. It's a good um, female power discussion. Yeah. Seems to be so powerful, seems to be this amazing thing, and yet in many ways is, a, is just a token of patriarchal masculine power. So. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's get into it. Shall we? Yes, I'm ready. Okay. Always. Ready? Always. Yes. So if you were to briefly give a summary yes. of who these, or what this position is, I guess mm-hmm. we should first talk about it as a, a positional role that someone fulfills. Right. Um, how would you describe it to yeah. people, to our listeners who maybe have never heard of it before? There's multiple titles. The main title is God's Wife of Amun. It seems weird to have the of Amun at the end, but that is the way the Egyptians are, mm-hmm. are writing it. Um, so she's a wife of the God, which God? Amun. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's other... an N in there. So you have the of part, which is a little bizarre, but she's a God's wife. That's so did other gods title. have God's wives? It doesn't. The, yes. The answer is yes. But because Thebes is a place for which we have so much more data, mm-hmm. there is much more one can say about the God's wife of Amun versus yeah. other God's wives. Yeah. And um, I'm, we, we do know there were other uh, chantresses, adoratresses, God's wives, other things, but... Um, Yes. Well, but yeah. so we, we know more about this God's wife than any other. And you start with that part of the title that she is the God's wife. Hemet Netcher. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Hemet Netcher. And what does that actually mean? It, it seems to be associated with a sexual duty mm-hmm. that she's there to make sure the God can help well, him help himself to recreate himself. Other title goes along with this one sometimes. Okay. Her other title is God's hand, mm-hmm. which, and, and for those of you that know your Egyptology and know your Egyptian religion, you know that the world was created how? I'm going to make you say it. Yeah. So through masturbation. Yeah. yeah. A masculine act of procreation mm-hmm. with oneself. Yep. And the feminine part of the self is the hand. Yep. Jarrett. Like Smurfette, mm-hmm. right? You have the T at the end. Egyptian is the same in this regard. And so the hand is the feminine element of the god. And he's recreating himself, but is he? So it's, it's so interesting that she's his wife, but she's also then a part of his body. Mm-hmm. She's not separate from his body. She is his hand. So she is also the God yep. in the same way that Sakmet Tefnut Hathor is the God's eye. 
yeah. the the year at Netcher and or the eye of Ray, mm-hmm. um, the year at Ray. And and what that means is that she is part of his body and yet can be sent forth from him, can be separate, can have That's separate like action. Manifestation of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as it the is gods, interesting that female goddesses body. are always almost parts of a male god which is the opposite of what happens in a biological reality mm-hmm. that every human being born is part of the female body yeah i know this because i've had a baby in my body and you do feel like you're hosting an alien being <laughs> and they're making you feel sick they're taking up space and mm-hmm. they're moving your lungs Kicking and your you. body around your yeah. pelvis changes shape because of it but you are hosting that that being and they feed off of your body and change your body but the egyptians how clever that they take this feminine thing and they make it the part of the god as yeah. if he's somehow birthed he's the one her. doing the birthing yeah. yeah in a weird way or he's the one that's hosting mm-hmm. if you like he's the one with the primacy and she's the secondary or the controller yes yeah yeah because the the mind the is mind. going to control the hand the mind mm-hmm. is going to control the eye where the eye looks what the hand does yeah she is his um she is his servant in that way this is maybe a too egyptological question but you know in like Asman and stuff where post Atonism, we see Amun kind of changing and taking primacy amongst all the gods and yeah. being kind of this like one of one of many type of God. Yeah. I wonder, I haven't looked into this, so this is just a hypothesis. If we see more of these titles like hand of the God and things popping up post. I don't know. And it would be a really interesting more... research study. And you're, you're referencing like something like the Leiden hymn, where mm-hmm. we see all gods are three, Amen, yes. uh, Re, and Patach, and and that one is like the the body, and another is the mind, and another is the the light. Or I'd have mm-hmm. to look at the text again. It's a wonderful text where it's like less polytheistic in a that way. That text is associated with body parts, so they make it like all cool. three are one, mm-hmm. and all three are part of yep. the same being. So then you add the female divinity into this. And she's a part of that masculine yep. being as a hand or an eye. Mm-hmm. Or you could say, um, when you're looking at solar mythology, the goddess is the sky from which he is born. And the god is the bull of his own mother. He impregnates mm-hmm. himself upon his own mother. Yeah. Sounds creepy and gross, but it is a very pre-Jesus-like uh, virgin birth mm-hmm. where the god creates himself. Yep. And that's what we're doing here. That's why she's the God's wife of Amun. She's the God's hand. Yep. Because it is all about the God making himself from himself. And she's there facilitating so she has that. to be also from him. She must his be hand. from him. Yeah. She must be. And so he's going to jack himself off but with her. But it's really him. Mm-hmm. But it shows that he is in absolute control of his own recreation. Either the first time when the world hasn't been created from chaos yet, or in a cyclical understanding, like an Osirian understanding according to seasons, or a daily understanding yeah. according to a solar mythology. Well, I think this is interesting too, because we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here, but like the divine conception myth of like the king's birth. Yeah. And oftentimes it's the god's wife who is shown mm-hmm. interacting with Amun. And in a lot of cases, well, in all cases, who's fulfilling the role of God's wife, but his mother or his sister, yeah. a female sister wife, sister daughter. wife. So of somehow a, a family member, or maybe even the person who actually did birth him. Yeah. You know, his mother that passes it on to, yeah. you know, her f- female child. Um, for those 
of a, when we misunderstand or don't get why elite or royal circles would consistently engage in incest, particularly mm-hmm. sister and daughter incest, this mythology also clarifies that the the god at the center must surround himself with mother, sister, wife, and daughter. And those elements are essential for his protection, for his future rebirth, for his, um, for for all kinds of things, progeny, you know, his next generation. Um, It's all a part of him. Mm -hmm. And having it be part of your same family member, uh, your same family makes it that much more cohesive as an eye or a hand in the, in the same. So it may seem gross and disgusting, or maybe very short-term thinking in terms Mm -hmm. of health of the Royal dynasty, but in terms of mythological thinking, it it makes a lot of sense. Well, and we could extrapolate a little further and later on when it becomes adoptions, it's maybe that's in to negotiate this. Oh, it's, this isn't something that you can do long-term because it's unhealthy and all these other. Maybe, but the adoptions, and I know we'll talk about this in a bit, but the adoptions are also, they show very clearly that the God's wife of Amun is not about the wife. It's about the God, i.e. the king. It's about who's king at the time. It's not about her legacy. Never was, never would be. It's about who's king yeah, next. The position gets the exactly. position has the power and the holdings and the authority, not I the mean, person. You, and you know this is treated very positivistically yeah. within Egyptological literature. Look at these women yeah. had power. Look, mm-hmm. these women had officials. They had estates. They could stare an official in the eye, stare him down, and get what they wanted. All of these things are true. But they still weren't anything without the king. They weren't anything without the king. They were only placed into that position because of their relationship to the king. Mm-hmm. And they their power could be taken away yeah. in an instant. Yeah. Given as soon as you have someone come in and yes. take over the country, oh, now you should adopt my daughter yeah. and make her the next one. And politically, the god's wife of Amun, this is a Theban position that we know about. Mm-hmm. And most kings, Theban origin or not, are ruling from Memphis and Heliopolis. That's where the power is, and maybe even Delta sites later on. They need their reach to be long. And so in a way, they're sending their arm out. They're sending their eye out as an extension of their family to Thebes Mm -hmm. to rule that religious place in their absence. So it's the same. Mm -hmm. It's exactly the same. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Oh, and I'll add one more thing, is that we have the God's hand, we have um, the God's wife of Amun, and there's also like a... A divine adoratress mm-hmm. is a later title, but you do see a little earlier too. And and the chantress that would is be the duat duat nature duat nature mm-hmm. the one who worships the god. What is duat? What does that mean? This worshiping, you're raising your arms mm-hmm. up. You might be singing. Mm-hmm. Um, you might be lighting incense, but you're doing some sort of ritual adoration. Yep. Um, and what what does a patriarchal man love but a woman worshiping him? So that's what this <laughs> is. And then the chantress is she's singing yeah. for him, and which so, is often related to rejuvenation, mm-hmm. sexual, mm-hmm. you know, getting him excited and yeah, absolutely, and all these things. But yeah. all of these things have bodily connotations. Yeah. You have the voice, you have the arms, you have mm-hmm. the action that one does, and it's all in an extension of the god's yeah. body. Yeah, good. Um, so when we're looking at this office, mm-hmm. how can we study it? What Egyptological evidence do we have left to us to look at it? Well, almost all of it is going to be idealistic, perfected, mm-hmm. monumental in some cases. Not always. You're yep. going to have some papyrus documents, mm-hmm. maybe even some ostraca documents. But it's it's going to be very ritualized. Mm-hmm. And you will then have to know as a researcher that you have to pull the veils away from 
what is actually happening here politically yeah. and what is presented as a religious, purely religious office. Yeah. What is actually, it is actually economic, political, um, in some ways, even militaristic mm -hmm. in the late mm -hmm. 19th or, or 20th dynasties. But, and I'm not saying that Egyptologists don't touch those aspects, but um, in my opinion, they give too much power long-term and institutionally mm -hmm. to the woman as if she's able to take it and keep it mm -hmm. rather than seeing her as a token placeholder of the moment put there by yeah. the, the patriarchal system. I mean, we can, I feel like, see this especially with, um, you know, the first donation stila of Akmos, mm -hmm. where he's the one who's, you know, setting in place this office. It's mm -hmm. not her, right? No. You know, it's not Akmos Nefertari or um, later queens it's he's the one who goes and buys the office and sets it up with the endowment and gives it to her and what and... happened he's buying the second high priesthood mm -hmm. of, of amun there's the high yep. priesthood the first high priest. the second second there's third there's fourth in the 18th dynasty you don't see as much uh, information for those lower titles third and fourth as if they're low yeah but to buy the second high priesthood wh what happened to that guy were people upset it's well, a way of claiming something that patrician elites had yep. but you don't see the title again i'm jumping ahead yeah yeah no, but you don't okay. see that second priesthood title <laughs> until post obsession yeah so some you know argue that it was t3 in yeah. his hatred of Hatshepsut. Mm -hmm. he brings he takes back that title right. from the and then you don't really get god's wives anymore after that for no. a little bit well he puts his his wife unconnected to him in a familial manner yeah. non-sister but yeah. just a wife but in she doesn't position. have and then by t4 it's the it's i think Tia. it's his mother yeah, Tia. It's his mother and then it's kind of down it's it's a3 it's there but it's yeah. not important then otanism happens and then otanism and... happens right and then yep. we don't see anything in post amarna and ramesses you might see the title but it's not it doesn't seem to be that yeah, important. it doesn't come back until late 19 late 19th with yeah. Eset. i think it was ramses ramses the ninth Okay. Like kind of brings, starts it back up again. But also Tawasret. Yes. She's, yes, she has she's going to claim it as a means mm -hmm. of taking power or she's going to have it imposed yep. upon her by people who are trying to use her to take power. Yep. Okay. So let's rewind a bit. Go. So studying this, we have, as you said, very ide ideologically charged monumental architecture. We have the chapels at Karnak yeah. that they erect. Erect. Is that a good? A, it's a great word. Correct for themselves. I think it's a great word for a female goddess title. There are burials at Menet Habu, mm -hmm. which we'll talk about. Really, tomb chapels. Tomb there chapels, are burial chambers, yes. But the burials do not. With very interesting chapel. architecture. Yes. Super, super unusual. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then we have some stila donations, mm -hmm. stila some talking statues. about some statues mm -hmm. of certain ones. The, the statue of Taco Shit. Yeah. Um, but the 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 name is Takashate. But yeah, in but the labels, it's spelled like taco, taco shit. shit with a K, and yeah. you can't help but love that. So. so that's a good one. Yeah. Very good one. Okay. So those are, but yeah, so we don't have a lot of, and we have some papyri, like you said, more like economic documents of talking yeah. about land holdings and yeah. other things like this. Um, yeah. But a lot of uh, two-dimensional, you know, ideological inscriptions and depictions of mm -hmm. them with Amun, with the mm -hmm. king, and mm -hmm. other circumstances. Yeah. Um, quickly, just to give some history of the title, right? It's first 
attested in the 12th dynasty in non-royal women, just mm-hmm. as Hemet-Netur. So not of Amun, just a Hemet-Netur, so mm-hmm. God's wife, mm-hmm. first attested in the 12th dynasty for non-royal women, which mm-hmm. is interesting. Um, but we don't see its full use until the 18th dynasty. Right. So, And I think the first God's wife of a god is God's wife of men, which is interesting. That's the first one we have popping up. And then you wonder... This is an Upper Egyptian mm-hmm. phenomenon for us to study. Yeah. Min is obviously Upper Egyptian, pretty close to Thebes, um, Koptos, Amun. Um, mm-hmm. And then Amun yeah. can be Amun Min, yeah. and he can pull the Min cult into his cult, and maybe that's what's going on. I always also think it's interesting because whenever you have Min depicted, he always has very yes. erect phallus. Yes, that he so must he do business m- with. needs a wife he to do. He needs a wife. His to hand. be effective. Yeah. The oldest... And I don't need to tell you this, but I'm telling the audience that our oldest monumental statue from mm-hmm. all of ancient Egypt is a god jacking himself off from Koptos. It's, it's Dynasty One, probably. It's a great statue. No, no, it's it's older. It's isn't older. It? It's um, Dynasty Zero. Yeah. Fantastic. And it has a king list on the side and includes Narmer on that king list, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and, yeah, it's, it's debated, but yeah. Oh, okay. And um, I'm not a pre dynastic person. I just, just remember that one archie. On uh, it's a article by um, Bruce from the OI. He wrote an article about it where there's like inscriptions on and the men, and it list. could be, yeah, they could be read that way. Or okay. um, we can look it up. But the oldest monumental statue from all of Egypt is of a god masturbating, and mm-hmm. his hand is there around. His hand is there around the. It's there circling around the penis, mm-hmm. which is now lost because maybe it was made of solid gold or like elephant ivory. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Um, it's, there's a hole for like or something to be little elephant ivory and gold. You know, we can imagine the yeah. the solid gold penis, and um, and so the god's wife is. It's really a part of these fertility, these mm-hmm. masculine fertility cults. Yep. Of upper that she Egypt. is supposed to have yes sex and have divinely have the king and. And for for those of you who don't know this, in my book, The Woman Who Would Be King, I start the book off with an imaginative romp through ritual activity for Hatshepsut, who as a girl was the god's wife of Amun during the reign of probably her father, Tutmos I, and then certainly during the reign of her brother, husband, Tutmos II. And... And if she's God's wife, of course, in the temple, she's going to engage in such activities. With the statue. I would yeah. assume she's going to manipulate a statue. Does she just do it in her mind? Or do we actually do these things with statues? If we go to a polytheistic temple in in India, people do things with statues. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that they're doing this to the yeah. statues in, in India, but you you do have sexual understandings in, in all of these polytheistic places. It's not strange, in I my opinion. I saw a beautiful... I think it was just an, it was an article about the British Museum returned some Hindi statues oh. back to India. And, you know, in the British Museum, they're just stark, white, mm-hmm. nothing. And they put them, they gave them back to India. And they, they put them back in a temple. And they, they clothed them. them. They painted them, put all, like, the oh. makeup on. Wow. And just, the, there's a photo of both of them next wow. to each other. And just, like, this is how they were supposed to be like seen and represented. Will you send me that? Yeah, that it's a beautiful. I, I haven't seen um, that. But it's like how the British Museum was displaying them as like stark and naked, yeah. right? And then they gave them back to India and they're being used in ceremonies again in their clothes. They have these beautiful, you know, fabrics and yeah. they have all the makeup on again. We should all and take the grad students on a field trip to it's India beautiful. because I think we cannot understand the Egyptian temples in the, in the stark... Mm-hmm unlived way that they are that they are now i'm not saying that 
that indigenous Egyptians don't engage with temples to this day. They do, mm -hmm. but they're different rituals that than they would have been in the yeah. past. And if you go into a fully functional Hindu temple, you see them pouring milk on the mm -hmm. goddess statue. You see them putting flowers on and all the food offerings and music and, and music, incense yeah. and all of these things. And I, we have to understand mm -hmm. it in this way. Yep. It has to come alive yep. in this way. Yeah. I agree. But yeah, I just I remember seeing that and being like, that's awesome that yeah, yeah. they're being used in the way they should be and they were made. It. Yeah, it's awesome. Okay, so who could become a god's wife in most cases? And, who who yeah. were usually chosen? Well, you have to have a one degree removal from the king. Yeah, so and royal women. Royal women, not cousin, yeah. mother, sister, Daughter. wife. They could be separate. It could be mm -hmm. sister and wife or sister or wife, full sister, a half sister and daughter. Yeah. yeah. But it was never like a wife of some she other was, dude. Yeah. Or like yeah. a random harem girl. It was like a wife of someone still within probably the maternal line. In the 18th dynasty for certain. Because it was always mother In the to early daughter. 18th dynasty yeah. for certain. In the later 18th dynasty, when the third gives it to... His mom? Uh, to, oh. I think it's Mary Ray Hatshepsut yes. is the first one he mm -hmm. gives it to, um, but I have to check. Um, is, is she a, a harem girl? Yeah. Is she there on his mother's side? Is she, we don't know. Well, it's hard to because he definitely disrupts mm -hmm. what's going on and yeah. changes it, the office a bit. Yeah. So, and then after that, it's not really a thing. I mean, you know, when I say that we, we treat it too positivistically, let me also backtrack and say that the God's wife of Amun position is quashed by Tutmos the third because it becomes so mm -hmm. powerful yeah. and because the sisters daughters of the king can use it to counter courtly power and to pull it to themselves and potentially if Hatshepsut is really trying to pull Nefere into it and it seems that she was mm -hmm. is trying to create a legacy of their own so I'm not saying that that didn't ever happen, but it's not something that was ever completed to fruition because the patriarchal system would not ever allow yeah. it. So, well, you see what Hatshepsut did with it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. She used it for for great power. Mm -hmm. And then before there's even a God's wife of Amun in the sixth dynasty, mm -hmm. there's all kinds of power for for females as mothers, daughters, sisters, wives of the king. And they're able, in an incestuous, directly connected to the king way, they're able to create so much power. So much so that the king is like, screw you girls, I'm done with this. Yeah. And then assigns two new great wives to create the next generation. Yeah. But then they take over. And so it's um, it's interesting how these women who are one degree removed from the king can use it. And this is, you know, when people are like, oh, women are duplicitous. Women hmm. are manipulative. Women, you know, there are old tricks when you hear like a men's right movement say something like that. Or, or, or you know, patriarchal bros talking about females and how they misuse their power this is what these are the things to which females must resort it's, if they it's are, their only option it's their only option in a patriarchal yeah. system and so the god's wife of Amun is an extension of exactly that mm -hmm. and we have to see it in that in yep. that vein so okay so it can be his wife his mother his sister so a close connection to mm -hmm. the king mm -hmm. um so in a way as you said it's you know, they only get their power or whatever comes with the office because of their connection to the king. Yeah. Um, do we know what her duties would include on a more... Um, I have, so I pulled some 
from the Red Chapel, right. where we have Hatshepsut depicted as God's wife. Right. And you can extrapolate from some of the depictions of what they might do. Hatshepsut's not depicted as God's wife. Some other chick. Well, it's never Ray. Maybe it's Maybe. unlabeled. Yeah. It's unlabeled. So there's just some woman depicted as yeah. God's wife um, engaged in ritual activities. We have them participating in processions of the priests. Mm-hmm. Um accompanied God's fathers, mm-hmm. which is an interesting title too, bathing yeah. in the sacred lake, mm-hmm. entering in exclusive parts of the temple, yeah. um, calling the God to his meal with yeah, the, like high, the priest. high priest. And the king, she's the one mm-hmm. allowed into the God's innermost most chambers where he is most vulnerable, Yeah, where he is naked and exposed and yeah. in some ways even dead. Because the temple is a place of his regeneration. Yeah. And if you see it cyclically, either seasonally or daily, he dies and then must come back mm-hmm. to life. And she is there as a jerrit, um, a hawk-like creature mm-hmm. that is there with her wings outstretched to protect him, to make sure that he can get his business done yep. while he is prone and unable to move. Yeah, shaking sistrum. So, and and yep. you can see the sistrum as Keeping a, the disorder at bay. Yeah. Also, you know... Um, as God's hand, as we mm-hmm. said, is the self-creative masturbation. And for those who don't understand that, a sistrum is an instrument, a rattle, in which you have metal rods piercing metal circular, flat circular discs, and that that is a sexual thing mm-hmm. in and of itself. And then you shake the it, you move them back and yeah. forth. I mean, yes, um, <laughs> is it sexual? Are we seeing too much in it? Uh, maybe, mm-hmm. but it's the women who hold these sistra mm-hmm. and who are shaking them and making noises ostensibly yeah. at the same time. It's it's meant to be that kind of orgasmic sort yeah. of moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think music in ancient Egypt, it's always this calling the god forth mm-hmm. and it can, you know, you connect the two fertility and all these other aspects. Yeah. Um, so then what would the god's wife, what kind of interaction would she have with both the king mm-hmm. and with the rest of the Amun priesthood? Was she, she's not head of the Amun priesthood, right? There's still a high priest. Yeah. So you can, close. you can imagine a lot of, yeah, drama probably happening of, you know, she's the mother, sister, wife of the king. Um, but she is the king. But she is the king because she's the one who helps create him. She's his extension. Yeah. So a high priest, if he's there appointed as one of the king's patricians from court, Mm -hmm. he's going to have a different set of entourage, colleagues, courtiers than she is. They're hanging out with the same people, but they have different agendas. And so it's so interesting to see that, say the king's off in Memphis doing something, and you have the god's wife of Amun working with the high priest, means the high priest always has somebody at his side mm-hmm. who has an agenda that's connected to the court. Checking him. Checking him and saying, oh, but my lord, the king will... Not my lord. What is she going to say? Yeah. Dear high priest, the king does not... My lord, the king does not want things this way. Yep. We must do it that way. And he's going to say, yes, but we have always done it this way. Who knows? Amun says this. Exactly. Yeah. So my the, lord, Amun. <laughs> and one can claim, the god's wife will be able to claim to know the mind of the god in a way, arguably, that the high priest Because she not. gets to see him when he's in his most vulnerable. She's intimate with him mm-hmm. in certain ways that the high priest would never be. Mm-hmm. It's similar to a real queen yeah. in her relationship with the king. Yeah. He would know him in a different manner. 
will have a different maybe kind his of information. Advisor, yeah. Exactly. The closest advisor will be, she's, she's kind of Yoko Ono in with, this. Yeah. <laughs> Not, no disrespect to Yoko Ono. Um, but, but this trope of the woman who's coming in to take power and that she's perceived right or wrong as, as somebody who, disrupting. who's disrupting what should be a man to man connection. But remember the King's placing her into that position mm-hmm. purposefully. Do you ever see, there's so many like, you know, interactions you could imagine in your head. Obviously we have no proof of any of these, but yeah. you know, machinations going on behind the scenes yeah. of, of her, you know, siding with the high priest at sometimes against the king right. or, or vice versa. And um, it'd be interesting just to see how these play out. Well, she's going and- to know the king better than he is. And when the king comes into town for a great festival, the high priest will be there, but he's kind of get moved. He moves to the side because mm-hmm. the king takes his position, and she's then standing next to the king. Yep. And and the high priest, while facilitating, is not the one who does things. To use the Egyptian ritual yep. phrase, um, the king is, and she's then standing next to the king. And I talked about this a lot, you know, as I'm trying to hypothesize the way these things would have worked politically in the woman who would be king. That Hatshepsut would have known her father took was the first arguably better than any of his sons mm. because she's there in ritual activity in Thebes, at least yep. standing next to him, hanging out during boring interminable rituals that go all mm. day long where you can have kind of a side convo. Really? Yeah. Like, oh my God, how much longer do you want to hold the flapping duck yeah. or should I <laughs> you know, things like that? Who's going to accept the next offer. Exactly. Yeah. And you can see that you, you, in the trenches, you get a, you know, with the weight of that ritual that you, you gain some sort of a, an equal camaraderie parody, yeah. um, in a way that, that none of his sons are going to have and that mm-hmm. none of his patricians are going to have. And that's an interesting well, yeah, way to think about it. Technically the king is, you know, the highest priest on, mm-hmm. you know, in Egypt. So mm-hmm. when he, he's back performing those rituals, the other high priest doesn't have this is not necessary right because the king's there doing it and lest we forget the king is not one may ask it's a patriarchy why wouldn't you put one of your sons in a position as high priest at this temple other places do it but the king will assign his son and say you are now high priest of this place but instead in egypt the king is going to say to a daughter or a wife or a sister or whatever you are now the god's wife in this place the reason you do that is because she doesn't have access to economic, military, and political power the way that a man can mm-hmm. get. And thus, she is less of a threat to yes. his power. Yep. So that's always got to be uppermost in mm-hmm. our minds. Yep. And it's only with um, the Ramesses that we really start to see a king placing his sons into these positions of religious power. Mm-hmm. And th- how does the 19th dynasty end? In civil war. Not good. And yeah. <laughs> so, you know, when you start to do that kind of thing and you distribute power to your sons, it will come back and bite yep. you. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, do we see this role changing over time? I mean, this is a, a kind of punting a question because it's yes. The answer is obviously yes. Yeah. So, um, and I think we can get into this more by looking at, we take some like case studies to look at some 18th dynasty um, God's wives, mm-hmm. and then we'll look at the next resurgence of God's wives in the 25th and 26th uh, dynasties. So we can get into that more. Um, But before I do want to talk about, we mentioned, you know, the economic aspects of the office. So we do, you know, 
each god's wife had there was an estate mm -hmm. associated so there mm -hmm. was a lot of wealth and money mm -hmm. associated with the office that is related to the office not to the person mm -hmm. so it's not something that like she could take right she could use it while she was god's wife but it wasn't like something it wasn't hers i mean this is the best part of it really because then you can more clearly understand it as a royal infiltration mm -hmm. because the king and, and we see this best in the creation of the office right in the early 18th dynasty yeah when you create that office for ahmaz nefertari you are putting aside you're pulling lands from the amen Temple mm -hmm. okay. endowments. You go ahead. Go so ahead, let's ahead. talk about yeah, Akmos. Yeah. Let's just get into yeah. Akmos Nefertari first. Yeah. So she's our first full God's wife of Amun yeah. that we have. Yeah. End of 17th, early 18th dynasty, right? We have who she's married to Akmos, uh -huh. um, mother of Amenhotep the first. Right. A full her, brother sister marriage. Full as far brother as we can tell. sister marriage. Yep. Her mom was. Uh, uh, Teddy Sherry, Teddy Sherry, right. who m some people argue was maybe also a god's wife, mm -hmm, Amun, mm -hmm. based how she's talked about in the text. Mm -hmm. So we have this awesome donation stila, right? Which talks about it is awesome. Um, which talks about Akmos installing this office with its the estates and all this money and stuff. And I have it here, so I can read oh, snippets from it. Thank you. Um, so we have Akmos is talking. Year X, month three of inundation, day seven, under the kingship of Akmos, um, Neb Pektira, and he says, I have given the office of the second priest of Amun to the god's wife, great royal wife, she united to the beauty of the white crown, Akmos Nefertari, may she live. It was done for her in an Imiet pair, right. which is a document transfer property document that which is in the house literally yeah, literally so it's, like, all, it's like a trust if you like from son to son heir to heir without allowing a challenge against it by anyone forever and ever so he's establishing this office endowing it he buys the second a priesthood of Amun position and he's giving all of that which comes with it to the god's wife He's office. establishing the Yemit pair without pulling lands away from the Amun temple, but mm -hmm. just pulling the office from the Amun yep. temple. But he's putting in lands from his own treasuries. So in a way, he's going to the Amun temple and saying, I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. Yep. And I'm giving you a whole shit ton of wealth to go along with it. You will get the income from these lands. Mm -hmm. You have sharecroppers. You have produce. Oh, I have the created. list too. It's insane oh, how awesome. much... So it's a whole shit ton of lands yeah. and you get those lands and the Amun temple's like, oh my God, this is great. Thank you. And he's like, but, but this chick, she's going to control yeah. it. Yeah. She's going to fulfill the position. Mm -hmm. so we have gold, we have silver, we have a, a bunch of clothing, mm -hmm. a bunch of wigs, a bunch of ointment. So all this, and they have the grand total in Shanao, you know, over a thousand, you know, pieces of gold, essentially equaling. Uh, giving in the office is endowed with male and female servants, 400 uh, oipe of barley, mm -hmm. six auras of inundated land. So all this land, all this servants to work the land, all these fungible objects as well. And he says to her, um, the office is completed for her, it being endowed. She said, indeed, I am satisfied with the price. Let it be done according to it without allowing it to be challenged. 
But what's I think the coolest part is when she comes to Thebes to be um, positioned in the office invested. to be invested. Yes, mm -hmm. the inv investiture ceremony. Um, so in order to record in writing to the office, which she was placed under the control of the god's wife, great royal wife, Akmos Nefertari, she comes clothed in a shawl coming from the endowment. Oh, from the flax of the... The shawl coming from this endowment that he gives or all the stuff. from the garments, from actual yeah, clothing. the actual garments, the okay. Dai Yu. Okay. Consisting of one of the 200 shawls which Akmos gave. Yeah. For she is an orphan without anything. Oh my god. Yeah. I forgot that part. A nemehu. Yep. Um, what does that mean? So it's it's interesting because it's as if because obviously she's she's not an orphan, right? She's no. the, the queen. Well they've is but, it is it an M of predication? She is as an orphan? She is no, it's she, she is, is an, an orphan. orphan. Some people have argued that this is because both her mother and father have died. Yeah. And she is technically at considered an orphan yeah um or others have argued that it's she has to seem as if she's an orphan because she's coming mm -hmm. into this position and she's becoming the god's wife so she needs to not have anything else any other attachments so it's like um, becoming the pope and mm -hmm. you have to give up all of your or becoming a priest yep. in the roman catholic church and you must give up all of your own property give it over to the church it's or give it to your family it's all gone and you must become one of poverty yeah so but like not but not yeah. obviously but maybe and then your your livelihood is solely connected to that institution and so then you else. seem like you don't have any other um you have nowhere to go that or you don't have any conflicts right yeah you have i'm a, i don't have any conflicting interests mm -hmm. i'm just mm -hmm. i have nothing it's so why trump solely... was supposed to have moved all of yep. his, his you're not um, supposed to have your peanut farm his, and he did he gave it to his yeah. sons but whatever yeah. yeah and i think we can see this the next paragraph has <laughs> you put she, the peanut farmer in there I yeah like yeah because he he did give yeah. up his peanut farm yeah, yeah um right and she comes into the presence of the courtiers and she says he clothes me while i have nothing right he causes that i am rich when i was orphaned yeah nemech kui statively in the state of being orphaned yeah and then she they seal this in the presence of the god during the festival of koyak so it's during this great festival in front of everyone they establish this and write it down in front of everyone so no one can say it never happened right no right. one can challenge it um and they that's the end okay so she's yes i have nothing it's all the god gives me all these things so i have no conflicts even though the king is the one putting me in position uh, it's the God that's giving me all these things. So I'm not beholden to the king. I'm mm -hmm. beholden to the God. I don't I have mean, this. I think that there are many religious institutions that are uh, among us that one could look to, to mm -hmm. see how this would work. Oh, yeah. And having grown up Roman Catholic, of course, I'm going to go there first. So if you're living in um, Holy Roman Empire or, or, or someplace in medieval Europe and you have, a, you know, everyone's got their sons that they send to the church and they pull back land send the son there in poverty then they are invested mm -hmm. as one within the church the power that they can gain as a bishop cardinal yeah. even pope is massive and it's a wonderful trade to make and the economic trade is there for political power and money changes hands but it's given to the institution not to the individual and that then benefits the one who is pushing the person into that position and you're you know you're you do it to your second son because mm -hmm. he can't have kids technically, mm -hmm. even though they all do. 
yeah. right? But you're <laughs> medieval popes and yeah. bishops. They and all cardinals. have bastard yeah. children. Yeah, they did. Um, but you technically weren't supposed to be. Right. So it's like you're giving up your son who won't be extending the family name or yeah. anything like this. And you could do but so with your getting, daughter as well. Yeah, you could send your daughter to the nunnery. She could become an abbess. Mm -hmm. She could move and work with vast sums of money and wealth and land yep. without actually receiving any of that income to herself personally, without having any offspring to bestow it upon. Mm -hmm. And then you can give that to a woman um, and, and give her great power because it is temporary. Yep. It's her lifetime. And then that's so it. So you can take you can take a little off the sides. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And you have control over her. So maybe we should talk about since we did mention celibacy and things like this. So in in popular culture, if you look up anything about the gods' wives, mm -hmm. it always says, "Oh, they were these." I think it's always thought as like a nun, right? You're marrying God, so you don't have you know an actual marriage. You don't. Yeah. You're not having kids. Yeah. Um, you're celibate because you're married to the god. It is the way this trope starts, and you can see that other researchers have been influenced by the analogy to the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah. Um, but the 18th dynasty, as you know, as we've already mentioned, uh, destroys that simple narrative because Ahmed Nefertari gives birth to Amenhotep yeah. I. And doesn't she... matter that he's probably sterile because he's the product of two mm. generations of brother-sister marriage, but fine. And we know that Hatshepsut was God's wife of Amun, and she was married to her husband, brother, Thomas II, has Nefru Rey. So obviously in the 18th dynasty, and, and then later God's wives in the 18th dynasty were wives of the yeah. king with children. So or mothers clear. of the king. So they or mothers. <laughs> they, they were not, they, they were not um, uh, celibate. celibate. Thank you. I wanted to say sterile on this one. <laughs> celibate. They were not celibate. But things do get complicated in the late period, or really third intermediate yeah. period. Um, 24. Second dynasty, 22nd, 23rd, and and then 25th, 26th. Yeah. Um, I guess Tefnacht is in there, so 24th, we'll add him in too. But those those third intermediate period into late period women don't have husbands. They're not mentioned. Yeah. They're not mentioned. They don't have children who are mentioned like yeah. they are in the 18th dynasty. It's the word celibate is. There, yeah, I think you know, we can throw that out because like it's not there. Yeah, maybe they were having sex with people. Yeah, I don't think that really matters. But they weren't mentioning a husband and they weren't no. mentioning children. No, which makes me go back to what you said before, which I really like this idea of conflict of interest. Mm -hmm. By maybe these women had lovers or husbands or all kinds just of like activity, popes. just like popes, but. But maybe it wasn't systematizing the institution as such that they be that they be celibate, quote unquote. Yeah. But having the husband or the children would be a conflict of interest for the way this institutional mm -hmm. position is supposed to work. Yep. Especially later on where it's like more adoption based. Yeah. You don't maybe want them to have a daughter that you might try to pass it on to type of situation where you might well, try to establish it, make it a hereditary office. Yeah. So it, let's separate the God's wives of Amun into two parts, two mm -hmm. main parts. One, 18th dynasty, yeah. a time of great power. And two, third intermediate period, late period, a time mm -hmm. of great power. And the way I would simplify it for our listeners is to think of the 18th dynasty part as really controlled by the court ad hoc power of a king, mm -hmm. one man, this is the way it's going to be. And power runs differently yeah. when it moves through a court system, a court institution. The and the other is very temple institutionally based. Mm. Military too, 
um, but it's institutionally based. This this God's wife of Amun in the third intermediate period and late period has to work through a college of decision makers mm. um, rather than an ad hoc one or two decision makers in the 18th dynasty. That's it's very much whole... linked to the, it you know, changes with the reign of each king. The really. reign of each king, but also the way power moves from the 18th, really into the 19th dynasty, mm. from being an ad hoc court-based power to being an institutional power where the king is... is um, uh, a 19th dynasty king, one could argue, is a mere populist trying to get his bureaucrats to love him and to drive CEO, a wedge yeah. between himself and patricians. Mm -hmm. So he's working with military institutions, with with religious institutions, and the god's wife of Amun is institutionalized as a part of that institutional power. Mm -hmm. So one is very family-oriented, the 18th yeah. dynasty and court, and the other one is very almost corporate. Mm -hmm. um, well, and... I don't know if this is like an incorrect understanding, but I view the later God's wives of actually having more true power, even though it's not it's not long term. It's just for their their own um, you know lifetime. Mm -hmm. But I do feel like they have a little bit more separation. I think and I more, would agree with you in some um, ways. Yeah, like yeah personal. But, but none of them is able to gain the power that Hatshepsut was. True. Right. We could argue Shep and Wepet the second. Yeah. Because she rules alongside with Montu Emhat. They had like a thing going. But a political thing. Political thing. Going. Yes, not sexual. Well, we well, don't maybe. know. Who knows? That would make a great miniseries. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> who knows? Um, but I, I would agree just that the, the third intermediate period and the late period are an age of nascent empire. By the yeah. 25th dynasty, it's certainly an age of empire with the Kushites coming in, keeping their base at Jebel Barkal and the Potan regions, and then extending their arm up to the north. Yeah. They need her to be powerful in their absence without think. direct communication. Yeah. They're gone. Mm -hmm. So she's left there to kind of run it herself, yeah. where in 18th dynasty, I think the king is much more present. Mm -hmm. Even if he's not physically present, mm -hmm. he's present. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I see your point. So, okay, so... We have Akmos Nefertari, mm -hmm. first official god's wife of Amun. Mm -hmm. um, we read her donation stila. And of course we have her coffin. And we have her beautiful set. coffin set. The, but one, we only have the one outer yeah. piece, and it's huge. Yes. And it was once covered with a thick gold sheeting, probably. Mm -hmm. Certainly had all kinds of inlays yeah, that have since been removed. Um, it's a great piece. It's an amazing piece. Mm -hmm. yeah. So then the office gets passed on to... So she lives through Amenhotep's reign into yes. it because yes. the next god's wife we have is uh Hatshepsut. yeah yeah it's interesting that she lives through such a long her her as mm -hmm. god wife she's a pretty and then Hatshepsut gets it probably she's a young woman there is discussion about whether Hatshepsut's mother Ahmes Ahmosa however you yeah. want to pronounce it was One also of... took on some of this role it doesn't seem so though seems to skip a generation mm -hmm. right and go from grandmother to granddaughter if she lived a really if long that time. was her grandmother yeah and we can't well, yeah. be positive with that but um that's interesting i wonder too because of the any tumult that came with amenhotep the first being infertile and they had to then kind of switch mm -hmm. to a different line mm -hmm. and it has like hatsatra was the true line through the matriarchal and they had to then switch to a different line for the male 
if it made sense to kind of just skip and if Makmos Nefertari was around living I mean, through we A1s. And then they things. both become divinized yeah. together later on. But we so. talk about the late period being a time period of adoption. In some ways, you could see this transfer of power from Ahmos Nefertari to Hatshepsut as a kind of adoption. Adoption, because mm-hmm. the male line was insubstantial. It was defunct. You yeah. had to move to... Uh, I mean, you had to bring I assume that the first is a cousin or something. Yeah, right? I'm sure he you was related to. some mm-hmm. way, but wasn't the direct male descendant nope. there. No, he wasn't. So... It's interesting. So yeah, so then we had Hatshepsut. We know she had the title. Mm-hmm. You wrote a whole book on her. Two. Two. Yeah, one two. And a, one, one and a half. One, one and a fifth. One in a chapter. <laughs> How did she use the role? Obviously, we know she became yeah. female king. So the role aided. Do you think the role had any, you know, helped in her taking more power? It was um, pivotal and essential mm. to her taking power as king. First, it was pivotal and essential to her taking power as the queen regent, mm-hmm. ruling and being decision maker over decision maker for a boy who was not her own son and who was too young to rule as king yeah. himself. But it's um, it's an interesting thing that this God's wife of Amun position is bestowed upon her ostensibly before she has any children with the king. And then when she becomes the mother of only a daughter and not the mother of a son, she's able to pivot and her entourage, her, her supporting elites are able to help her use it to gain more power that she could have exercised if she had had the son, Mm -hmm. you know, that soft power of how you work your child to get things in your favor. But without that son, and only the daughter, she's still able to, yeah. to, cuts to off use that it route. in that way. So she exactly. has to another one. Yeah. 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 Well, and so Jordan, let's, um, let's save Hatshepsut for other times. Okay. And we'll, we'll pick up on, on her details later. But suffice it to say that the God's Wife of Amun title was essential to her becoming decision maker. And then as queen regent, it's essential to her taking on even more power mm-hmm. as king. Mm-hmm. She could have done it without it. And then she makes her daughter yeah. the next one yeah. to kind of hold that position within this close connection with yeah. the kingship. Yeah. And then you, you can look at the 19th dynasty when they move Tawasred into a position of power as regent. She also gets this honorific title mm. um, mm-hmm. in addition to others. Yep. But it's a way of justifying it. It's a way of, don't forget also that the God's wife of Amun position is a way of letting Amun take the wheel, as I like to write. <laughs> it's, a, it's a way of saying, oh, I don't want this for myself. I'm not ambitious mm-hmm. because we know women cannot in a patriarchal yep. society exercise open, naked ambition. They just can't. Yep. It has to be the God is what's putting me here. I'm working on behalf of my father in, in human mm-hmm. form, my father in God form. I would never actually want all of this for myself. Well, and it's translating it to something that everyone else would understand, right? Mm-hmm. I'm doing all these things as the God's wife. And then people go, oh, okay, like that's part of that position. It's using where you can't say I'm king. It launders most, you know. it. It's a religious laundering of naked political power or naked economic power. It's a way of making it palatable, safe, one one step removed from what it mm-hmm. actually is or seemingly so. That, that there's just some sort of check on it in people's minds, whether that check was real or not, yeah. is to yeah. be debated. But it's it's an interesting way that humans have of 
exercising power such that people can see they can see what's happening behind the curtain but everyone believes so much in the curtain that they they question it less mm -hmm. and so as we mentioned earlier that the title becomes scant or we don't see yeah the women holding that much power with the title after hats up should do you mm -hmm. think it's because of how she used it to get female kingship or is no, it more of a yes coincidence? Yes and no. I don't think it's a coincidence, but I don't think it has as much to do with the pushback against Ahmed and Hatshepsut and people like that. That does happen in the 18th dynasty. Mm -hmm. That does happen with Tutmos the third. It happens with with uh, Amenhotep the second and Tutmos the yep. fourth, and arguably it's continuing with Amenhotep the third. Then you have your whole weird Amarna interlude. But the reason you don't have a strong God's wife of Amun in the 19th and 20th dynasties is because your power is not with the royal family. Yeah. The royal family has been quashed. You don't have the king's wives and sisters and mothers and daughters taking power anymore. Mm -hmm. You have mercenary military kings who are who are working with with a, a writhing scrum of institutional and bureaucratic mm -hmm. power that they have to placate. This isn't about that kind of close family circle yeah. anymore. They have to play a much broader game. I wonder too if you could argue that the 18th dynasty where we have kingship passed kind of through the maternal line and in the Ramazid it's because we see the sons popping up being named enlisted and that the sons play a much more prominent role in the Ramazid if you just doubling down on this like patriarchal matrilineal a patrilineal line and the matrilineal kind of falls out of importance in almost a way. Yeah. And you could well, because bring in the whole idea of where the Ramazids are coming from, and if mm -hmm. they're more of a Near East, uh, West Asian persuasion, it's more patrilineal. Descent I would agree with Versus you. a matrilineal Egyptian. And, and some people will listen to this and say, Jordan, you can't <laughs> say matrilineal line because the 18th dynasty isn't that. And they've proven, but that's they've disproven the heiress theory. And I've written about this. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, fine. You can disprove the heiress theory working in a systematic way. Having said that, that doesn't mean that these women and the children born to them weren't more important because they were born to these yeah. women. So the answer is yes. Yeah. That female line was significantly more important in the 18th dynasty. What's cool about the 19th is it becomes much more tribal, much more Saudi-like, because if you look at the lineup of sons and the lineup mm -hmm. of daughters for Ramses II, or in the 20th dynasty, Ramses III, and of course they're not father-son for those that are new to Egyptology, um, but those, those daughters that are named are all married off to different men. And those sons are married off to different women. We have much less incest technically yep. going on. Not with, with yep. cousins, sure. Yep. But not with brothers, sisters. You're not keeping everything close in the it's family. Each of these children is used to make a political connection to a different family mm -hmm. of bureaucrats, patricians, some of the same. Yep. Um, and those daughters are then used as, as like diplomatic sorts of connectors mm -hmm. to the the body politic that the king is working with. So the women are important, but I would agree with you that it's the women are important in connecting his elites in, to in him, much more, yeah, like, to him through his daughter's bodies. Yeah. They are an extension again of him, of his eye, of his hand, of his mm -hmm. reach to his elites, whether they're lower elites as bureaucrats and military 
professionals or they're higher elites like patricians yeah it's still you you're oh i'm giving you my daughter you know and it's it's a way of bringing everybody now in. you're loyal to me because you're and then in same, my family the other cool thing is in the 19th dynasty you also see and 20th you see the harem explode in size from all that we know mm -hmm. and that means that the body politic of the bureaucrats lower elites and the higher elites are sending their daughters to the king in in um replication of what the king yep. is doing for them and so their daughters come to him and he has hundreds if not maybe a thousand mm -hmm. wives or something in the at the height of the ramesid yeah. period so it's it's this interesting connection of of politics through a body or, or tons mm -hmm. of bodies through sex through children like through the these Ottoman. family lineages very complicated family yes. lineages that are named in the 19th and 20th dynasties. We don't see but any of that complication that in the 18th. Genealogical information, I guess, clear because it's not, it's messy. So you have to write it down and... They wrote more of it down in the 19th you know? and 20th. They, they did. They didn't write as much as we would like. Yeah. Because there's, there, most of it still seems to have been... You would have known. Verbally, yeah. orally transmitted. And everyone knew who everyone well, so -and -so, was. that's so-and-so, who's so-and-so's cousin, mm -hmm. and the aunt of so-and-so. And yeah. So unspoken. And when everyone gathered together to party, you knew that certain clans yeah. were over here and or over who there. Hates so -and -so. Exactly. Yeah, who collected together. And these things are are shielded from our eyes because those are exclusive bits of information. Yeah, you have to be in that club. You have to, to be know. in the set. Yep. Yeah. Otherwise you don't need to know. Mm -hmm. no. mm -hmm. So we have the so then our next high in the God's wife of Amun position where we see them not only we have a lot of evidence for them but also it seems that their power is at a height is mm -hmm. the 25th and 26th dynasties yeah you have a lead up to it with the earlier third mm -hmm. intermediate period the 22nd 23rd 24th yep. and it's interesting to see that as egypt decentralizes away from a a strong kingship of the ramesid period yeah and we can argue how strong that kingship mm -hmm. was at the later 20th. But as it decentralizes, these women become vital for a, a more um, de de decentralized I, system to keep control But I think, too, to like, help the king and actually keep power. Because, mm -hmm. like we said, the kings are either up and way north in the delta. Mm -hmm. Or campaigning. Or, or campaigning. It's a lot more warfare. Or down, way down south in Nubia. Yeah. And it's important to keep someone on your side that's in 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 Thebes. But that's a great pattern to note. When do you see the God's Wife of Amun pop up? But at the end of 17th, early 18th, mm -hmm. time period of great warfare. When they're campaigning and you need a strong... And it's arguable that like Akhmas Nefertari with all her weapons buried from... And like Balas mm -hmm. and all this stuff that she was maybe the one yeah, ruling. Yeah. yeah, Ahotep, sorry. Mm -hmm. Ahotep was like maybe the one ruling while yep. the men were out campaigning and fighting. She Absolutely. was the one holding things down back home. And it's such an Egyptian thing to leave the woman in power because she's not going to take that power from you while you are gone. Yep. But we'll keep, we'll safeguard it, mm -hmm. and and then you come back, and it's all it's all there. It's, it's held together. For so you. I love the comparison between seventeenth, eighteenth, and twenty first, twenty second, twenty third, twenty fourth. It both confusing, right? Some yep. overlapping, messy, um, very messy. But those those two time periods do fit well in the rise of a military and the rise of a of a god's wife of Amun. Mm -hmm. And then twenty fifth, um, yeah. How do you how do you see that working? 
I almost, I don't know how to rationalize this, but I almost see it almost as the king and the god's wife are like co-rulers in a way. Um, You know, he puts his usually sister in, in this position and that it seems much more equal in a way. Yeah. Um, in this sharing of power. Yeah. We're also but, dealing with a really interesting dynasty that has so much brother to brother succession. Yes, and the line of the heir is much, you know, they sometimes go horizontally. It's not father, son, you know. So you can go, go with the same God's wife because their sister is in the office. Mm-hmm. So it will work. It's, um, I, I like your idea of seeing it as equals ruling at the same time. One the king being invested with political and military power and one, she gets the ideological, she gets the ideological and political Mm -hmm. power economic and economic to boot. Both one could say, but hers is more ideal ideologically grounded. His is more militaristically grounded. Yep. And then they make a, a good couple that doesn't necessarily compete with one another. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so we can talk specific. So we have, Focusing in on the 25th and 26th, I think they're the most interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have interesting updates to the office. So we yeah. have Shep and Weppet, the yeah. first, um, who's the daughter of Asorkon the third. Um, and so she's the first to take the full titulary. Um, and she puts her names in cartouches. Mm-hmm. And so I think this is part of, I'm seeing her as like the... And she has two names, not one. And two names, Yep. Um, so her like given name, and then she takes Shep and Weppet, mm-hmm. and then they're put in cartouches. And she also, which is really cool, which I didn't know, she has the Lord of the Two Lands and Lord of Appearances title as well. So it's oh, almost really? like a king. Nebet how mm-hmm. or Neb Nebet yeah Nebet mm-hmm. Mistress of Appearances and Nebet of, of the, the Two, two Lands. lands. Yeah. That's great. So it's it's kingly titulary, yeah, royal titulary that she's holding. Um, and then she, again, I think most popularly known as this first adoption, right? It doesn't go to her daughter or someone else in that family line. It goes to Amenirdis the first. She adopts her. She gives her the 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 position. So it's connected to King Pia. Yes, because the king changes. Right. So now the god's wife has to be a female connected to that new king. Right. Um, so we have a change. But it seems peaceful. Right. It's not they don't have to kill Shep and Weppet to then like cut off her head and then give it to you. It's it's probably forced or coerced that you adopt the next one. But there seems to at least she has some protection from them going in and just killing her as a God's wife of Amun. That would have been sacrilegious or something very no, no. Yeah. So it's more like, okay, write it down. She will get you're going to adopt her as your daughter and she'll get the position next. All of this fits with arguments I've made elsewhere about Egypt being geographically and economically more Pacific, less warlordy, mm-hmm. more interested in status quo, not because they're different kinds of people, but because they're rewarded more for keeping their warlording at bay, given their economy, yep. less invasions internally, less less um, competition internally, easy wealth from farming, things like that. So it would make sense that there would be an invested interest among elites in moving power without bloodshed yeah. from one of these office holders to another. So you can move from one dynasty. The the Orsikon the third is twenty second, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. From the 22nd dynasty to the 25th. Yeah. And then we have lots of God's wives almonds there, but then we move it from the 25th to the 26th. Mm-hmm. And you, you have an agreement amongst Thebans, like, let's do this without yep. heads rolling. Well, and yeah. I have the um, Necrotus adoption stealer, which we'll get to, but it's, it's the king is acknowledging that he doesn't want to, you know, kill anyone and he doesn't want to take the current holder out of office. Right. Like, he will, he's leaving her in place. He's just saying, when you're dead, you will adopt the next, like, my family member, yeah. my female family member. Yeah. It's not to be something that's supposed to be, like, messed with. It's and interesting it's, that it's something, right, we know the king can be killed. Yeah. There's instances of the king being killed, no problem. But well, it's interesting that... Well, we know that, the 26th dynasty can be super violent. Yep. They go down to Jebel Barco, they smash up statues, mm-hmm. they destroy things, they they maim and pillage, they, they do all kinds of, of horrors. But in Thebes, it's like it's like people are making an agreement, like you know, let's let's all agree, like a peace and reconciliation mm-hmm. sort of commission. Let's all agree that we're not gonna we're not going to shed blood here. Yeah, and we'll find a way Somehow to do it. To yeah, actually sacrilegious and yeah. bad, yeah. or look bad for the new king mm-hmm. to kill the old god's wife. Mm-hmm. It, it's just yeah, not okay. Yeah. So you have Amenirdas, who um, I think. Best known, she has a fair amount of monuments. We have a lot of monuments with her names on them. She starts this funerary chapel tradition, very innovative of this hearkening back to even pre-dynastic styles of like tent shrines within tent shrine, but made in stone. Yeah. Um, in Mendehabu, she has like her own like little mini temple within the temple that is then her burial chapel. Yeah. So when you go into that space, it's it's so cool. Um, Amenirdis first her name means. Um, Amun made her, yeah. right? <laughs> Amun did it. <laughs> Amun made her. And the yuret or year is, um, you know, you're like, well, how did Amun make her? Was it sexual or is he a part of, is she a part of his eye or a part mm-hmm. of, because year, I mean, maybe there's do, a play on to words. Yeah. Um, and there's the trope of the, the female being the eye of the god. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's all kinds of things one could do with that name. It's great. But then when you go to her funerary chapel, it's at, a, a place called Medina Habu mm-hmm. today, and it which has, was originally whose mortuary chapel it Ramses the third, yeah. but it was originally originally yeah. the temple for the Agdoad, <laughs> the um, the four pairs of primeval gods and goddesses, mm-hmm. and those would be we've done this before: darkness, oh my god, call, um, call it. Knew, um, darkness, it. chaos, um, formlessness, and infinity. Woo! You did good. I did it. Um, and those pairs, depicted as tadpoles often, yeah, are, are, they're thought to be what primeval, oh no, it was primeval, we said noon, primeval yeah. matter. What what um, new life comes from? You need all of those beginning. elements of pre-creation. Yeah. And there is a, there, it is said, it's not there, there's a temple in its place, but there was a burial mound for these elements of pre-creation mm-hmm. at Medinid Habu. So it's kind of a ballsy move for Ramses III to put his mortuary temple right behind it, right? Yeah. But he did. And it's a little off to the side, but he's still claiming that space. And that's the thing that Amenirdis is connecting mm. her burial site to. She's mm. connecting it to Creation. the Agduad, what we call the small temple of Medinat Habu, and all of those elements of pre-creation, because she's the... She's the hand of the God. She is involved in such things. She is involved mm-hmm. in this new life. She knows these mysteries. And I guarantee you, 
when she started this job, she was read into the program and they invested her with all kinds of secret knowledge that you nor I will never mm-hmm. really know. No matter how well we know things that are written in the Valley of the Kings, yeah. we'll never really get it. Um, but so she knew all of these secrets. And so for her to put her burial space there is, um, is really interesting. Yeah. Um, They're cool chapels. Yeah. Cause later God's wives will continue this tradition that she yeah. starts and yeah. add on to it and create their own. And but hers, it has the forecourt, and mm-hmm. then you go into it's like an the inner. It's like a temple in a temple. Yeah. So you walk around this um, perambulatory mm-hmm. square that goes around like an internal sort of block. Yeah. That contains what? what would have been her like holy of holies, I guess. Yeah, um, and then leading, I mean, and then beneath it, subterranean would be mm-hmm. her burial chamber. And, and there was a sarcophagus, sarcophagus inside of there, and, and um, that's the on the Cairo Museum. Um, but it's it's pretty it's pretty cool um, that space. Very innovative, no- yeah. Very innovative. It's very high. There's relief on both sides. Mm-hmm. It's notoriously difficult to photograph, mm-hmm. and the images in there break all kinds of rules. That that. She gets direct access to the gods doing ah. rituals that a king would normally do. Yep. It's really Is cool. the one image, I don't know if it's here or if it's at the Karnak chapels, where it's like the god's wife like hugging Amun like in a very, very close embrace that like you don't even see the king doing. That where the, the king or the god is like yes. pulling the and king she, and, and then, you see the hand behind the head. Yeah. I think so. I, yeah. I think so. Just a, a really cool image. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then we have Amenirdis adopting Shep and Wepet II, mm-hmm. um, who arguably is one of the most powerful god's wives we have and the, of, and the most visible presence of Kushite power in mm-hmm. Thebes. Because um, Kotarka at this period, his reign's kind of not going so well. He's struggling for power. Things are, you know, tumultuous. And so he just he, lost his son to yep. the Assyrian Empire. Not going well. And mm-hmm. so she's kind of the marker of stability you yeah. could argue in uh in thieves at the time yeah and hers is cool too because we see a said festival scene of her completing a said festival which is traditionally only for the king yeah um i mean hot steps should have one but as a king yeah and, and with so she, was the third by her yeah by her but side. arguably this is the only female not king mm-hmm. having a said festival depicted in her with her doing all the rituals, which is really cool. And arguably, again, having this power-sharing relationship with Montu Emhat, the mayor of Thebes at the time. And fourth high priest of Amun. And fourth. So seeming like they were sharing um, both very powerful individuals there. Yeah. But yeah, the said festival scenes are very, very cool. Yeah. And that she got to have one is... No, it's amazing. Kingly. It's and, amazing. And, and, you know, they're all putting their names in cartouches at the time. Mm-hmm. All this is still going on, too. So they're taking all these trappings of kingship. Yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. And you see the king in the depictions along, you know, with them. It's it's sanctioned, I guess. Sometimes, yes. Sometimes, Sometimes, no. sometimes no. they're there on their own. And yeah. not just in the funerary chapels. In some of the Osiris chapels and other places, she'll be there on her By own. By herself, because it's her ch- yeah, chapel. And there seems to have been a decorum that we don't completely understand, because the like the chapel of Hekajet will have her on her own, but then the chapel that um, Isam Naji is working at outside of the, the 10th pylon has 
doesn't have the God's wife of Ammon, as I understand it. There's only um, the kings there, and and two kings are are depicted. So it's it's really interesting to see that she's included in some places, disincluded in others, and like where was she allowed to be and not? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do for our seminar a presentation on those. The, the Osiris chapels? Well, on the Psalms and stuff. Oh, so I'll great. look maybe and see okay, yeah. where the women are popping up versus yeah. not. And, and see what comparisons you have yeah. from other chapels and stuff. And see what's going do you have on. the Fazzini volume on there? No, I need to. But I was okay, like, it's an excuse to do it. If we end up going there in December, mm -hmm. I'll oh, no, study great. up on it. It'd be great. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's interesting where we have, uh, yeah, so I'll look into that more. So then we have Necrotus. Nitocris. Nitocris. Yeah. I keep always getting it messed up. So she's Nate the daughter. Nitocris. Nitocris. Yes. Yeah. Nitocris. It's the daughter of Samtek. Mm -hmm. So again, we're, now we're changing dynasties yeah. from Cushite to Sayite. Yeah. Um, and so, of course, now we need something to reestablish. Shep and Weppet needs to adopt Nitocris um, into, into the um, high God's wife position. Right. 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 So we have a document again, right. uh, establishing this, and I have it, and I have highlighted. It's very long, so I'm not going to read all of it. We were I reading have, it. We were reading it in Middle Egyptian not long ago, and I was like, okay, let's skip all this economic stuff. Yeah, at the end. I did. I left. I wrote following huge list of donations. Yes, <laughs> I was just, like, read it's all, all about money and each gnome and what yes. they give, and yeah, it's a lot. It's crazy. But it's there's like lots putting of a big taxation scheme at the bottom mm -hmm. of your of your big stila. But if you see from, I mean. We can talk about it after, but like comparing it to the stila of um, Akmo's earlier, again, it's all about this like establishing money and you have to have it in writing and everyone has to be there present seeing it mm -hmm. and condoning it. And so it cannot be therefore challenged. Um, so we have, okay, so Samtek's taking over. He wants to make sure that um, Nitocris. I'm, now I'm like second guessing myself. No, you're right. Natakris yeah. yeah. um, gets the position after, mm -hmm. and we have his spoken word. I've given to him, him being Amun, my daughter to be God's wife. I have endowed Sahuaj, her more uh, than those who were before her. So he's saying I gave even more money and land and everything to the office than the other kings did. Surely he, Amun, will be pleased with her worship and he will protect the land because of the gift of her to him. Then it goes on. He goes, I know that there was already a king's daughter there. Um, and her name is so-and-so uh, of the great god Targa. So he's acknowledging the previous king and, and saying Shep that Shep and Weppet II, Shep and yeah. II was the divine adoratress, all her titles. And he goes, I will not do, namely what is not to be, since I am a king who loves order. So I'm not going to take her out of this office. Mm -hmm. I'm going to maintain Ma'at. And he knows that by saying that, everyone knows what he's already done. Yep. To take this power. Yeah. So, and that he has the backing of the Assyrians. Don't forget, Thebes has just been freaking sacked. Super sacked. And it has yeah. been sacked so badly that it still bears the scars of it today. So, you so people to... are tired. They're exhausted. They've just been bombed into oblivion. Mm -hmm. Their flagpoles have burned. Stat colossal statues have exploded. Yeah. Like crazy shit has gone down. And so, the first time yeah. Thebes has... So Absolutely. you're thinking Amun's 
left the city. We don't have his protection. Something's wrong. And they probably took golden statues. They took all kinds of wealth. I mean, maybe they took live captives and people. I assume they did. They're the Assyrians. And so people are devastated. Then the Assyrians put this puppet dynasty in charge mm-hmm. who sends their army down down south to take what is given to them. Yeah. And and they walk into Thebes and people are like, oh crap, what's going to happen yeah, now? Like, it is easy for him to come in and say, oh, you guys, I, I would never, I would never, it's all going to be fine. Yeah. I love what is right and true. And here's my daughter. And I'm. it's an amazing thing that he doesn't take a more West Asian approach and put a son in charge. Of the high priesthood. He follows the rules. Mm-hmm. He puts a daughter in charge. And, and names her as the one who will be the extension of his power in Thebes. Yeah. Kind of, this is really very much a peace and reconciliation sort of commission. Mm-hmm. But like, so it's, sorry about burning everything. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then he gives lands and money to a devastated institution that's just had all of its wealth taken. Yeah. So he's like, you can have something back. Yeah. So here's some stuff back that, yeah. he, that the Assyrians probably gave part of it to him. Mm-hmm. And now he's like, okay, here's some of it back. Who knows? Maybe he's showing up with the damn statue of Amun-Re. We have no idea. It's not stated, but there is an exchange back. Mm-hmm. Uh, because these Writing people are so upset having seen their temples get burned and devastated that they would not accept this probably if there, there weren't some sort of... Uh, ex- reasonable gift yeah. back. Yeah. So then he, he, I mean, he says it's a, you know, a sacred abomination if I took the possession, if, you know, I took this office. So instead he goes, now I will give to her as a daughter, my daughter, aka to the Shepin Wepet. So Amenirdis will become Shepin Wepet's second's daughter. Mm-hmm. So he's saying, you know, like it would be wrong if I just took the office and all this stuff. So I, I am doing... I'm giving my daughter to the current God's wife to be adopted by her. Yeah. To keep this ma'at and, you know. And, you know, Shep and Weppet's still alive. This is where you want to read into mm-hmm. texts, where you want to try. Yeah, she's, she lived through all this. She lived through all this. The Assyrians came in. Did she run away, go into exile and hiding while they sacked Thebes? We don't really know, but she's not dead. Mm-hmm. But some some shenanigans may have gone down when the Assyrians were occupying this place and took things. And maybe when he claims not to have done something, maybe something like that was imposed, but we don't have mm, outright records mm-hmm. of it. In the same way that... That's true. Like, why is he mentioning it if it right, never happened ever? When you're learning about laws and you're reading the Hammurabi law code or whatever, we don't have laws in Egypt, which is really unfortunate. It's all this ad hoc, this ad hoc power. But when you're reading a law code in another place and people say, I have not done this, or when you're reading, you know, the Book yeah, of the this, Dead. If someone so steals of this, this happens. Exactly. Then you know people are stealing. You know it was happening. Yes. Because they need and, a code. <laughs> and they're stealing in this particular way. So you can always learn, even in the negative confession of the mm-hmm. Book of the Dead, that, you know, if I have not stolen from the, the table of offerings of the gods, that people would Someone misuse yeah. their priestly power and and siphon some off the top yep. of what was given to the temple from a certain Yimit pair uh, endowment or, mm-hmm. or whatever. So I, I would use this in that in that well, kind of way. So thinking, keeping with this train of thought, mm-hmm. it's then the Courtier, courtiers of the king all bowed to the ground and mm-hmm. thanked him so much and they said firmly 
and enduringly to the ends of eternity. May your every command be firm and enduring. We love you so much. Don't kill us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, how effective is what your father has done for you? Blah, 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 blah. And the don't you are kill so us. Awesome. You've added that. I'm just going to point yes, that out. Yes, I our, added that myself. For our listeners. But yes, um, it is, i.e., don't kill us. <laughs> we love you. Great. Sam Tech. Like, everything's mm -hmm. copacetic. Yeah. Um, and then so he made as his monument for his Amun, uh, for his father Amun, giving to him his eldest daughter, his beloved Tokris, whose nickname now is Shep and Whippet, so she takes on a new name, amazing. Um, to be God's wife, to shake the sistrum. Um, in the year nine, month one of inundation, day 28, this is the cool part I found. They have a record of like when she comes. Mm -hmm. Going forth from her royal apartments, clothed in fine linen, and ornamented in new turquoise. To first. It means that they had access, I think, to, to oh, yeah. the ways that things were done in the 18th dynasty, either the stila itself of Ahmuz Nefertari or to information because it's inundation, yep. both places, mm -hmm. and they're both coming forth in their in their linen garment they're mentioned specifically. Yep. So that seems to be important, yep. mm -hmm. right? That she's yes. been purified in she's the white garment. for yeah. her investiture. Her revenue in great number, while police cleared the path with might and insinuate some Maybe. there was not some you needed police to maintain order yeah. and make sure everyone was happy yeah and taking um heading southwards to thebes so she was up in the north yeah and they're sailing her down to thebes uh ships in great numbers all these troops all, mm -hmm. all the commanders were there they give their names titles all this stuff so she's coming down with the military yeah. is escorting her down yeah. from the north to thebes and she's coming with you know all this bread beer all these goods and everything um she arrives day 14 so this was month one of inundation day 28 and she comes she arrives month two of inundation day 14 so that's interesting uh, and we yeah. have like how long maybe she stopped places along the way mm -hmm. lands in thebes her prow rope they tie her up the boat up <laughs> not her everyone's jubilating blah 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 and they all say you know may the royal daughter Tokris, not in cartouche which is an interesting yeah. thing to note. You know, come to the temple of Amun, accept her and be satisfied with her, the king's daughter. The king's daughter, Shep and Wepet, shall come to Karnak that the gods who are in it will favor her. Um, and then it goes on exalting Samtek forever and ever. Um, and then we have, so we have the old god's wife or the current god's wife, Shep and Wepet, the second. Um, has to be at the temple to accept the yeah. new, her new adopted daughter, Natakris. Like we, the old president has to yeah. be there at the inauguration of the new president to show that transfer of power. And so we have this meeting recorded, right? So she, being Natakris, approaches the god's wife, Shepinwepet, in cartouche. So they're maintaining Amazing. her name in cartouche, but Natakris does not get it yet. Mm -hmm. When she, Shepinwepet, saw her, she was satisfied and she, Shep and Weppet, loved her more than anything. So yeah. she's, oh my God, you're amazing. I love you. Yeah. You know, it's not the child's fault, probably. Presumably, Natakris. You know, they're just pawns in this. So I don't know how. She made for her an Emiat pair again. We have, so a transfer document happening to transfer um, this position to her and now being her, um, her daughter. Because she has a daughter. Shep and Weppet has a daughter already who right. she had an immediate pair for. Right. And so now she kind of has to disown her own daughter and, and adopt this Natakris. new one. Yeah. And the way the money works is so interesting. I, and I'm sorry to cut you off and you no. can continue the rest of it. But 
but they're coming down with a military mm -hmm. escort. And as they come down, and this is later in the text, they're pulling income from all of these yep. different gnomes. regions, yeah. gnomes, um, districts, as they come, as if to prove to the people of Thebes, we're not just raping and pillaging from you, we're raping and pillaging from all of Egypt to create this. And look, Thebes, you are benefiting because we're pulling from this gnome and this gnome and, and bringing it all But it's couched down. as gifts. Of course. It's to all Alman, laundered. It's religious laundering. You know, so it's this, yeah. you're all going to benefit from Almond's yeah. beneficence. Yeah. yeah. So we have then Shep and Wepa disowning her own daughter, Amanirdis. How does that, how is that put? So it says, she made for her her Imiat pair document. With, which her father and her mother made for her, together with her eldest daughter, Amenirdis, not in a cartouche. Right. So who was the old heir. Right. The royal daughter of Taharka, true voice. Right. So the old heir is there with her, and they're changing the Imiat pair to now be about Nitocris and right. not her old daughter. Right. So she also has to condone it and agree to this change. It was executed for them in writing, saying, we have given to you all of our property in the country and the city. You will be established upon your throne, firm and enduring until the ends of eternity. The witnesses for them were all priests, the pure priests and the courtier courtiers of the temple. And then it a list of all the property that was given. And then it's this huge list. Huge list. Huge list. Which I just left out because I was like, I'm not reading all this. And when we were reading it, I, they got mad at me because I'm like, okay, let's stop. And Brandon's like, I wanted to read the Thing. But like, it's just I'm like so it's sorry. just like two hundred auras of land from this yeah. gnome. It's a lot of a, land. a bunch of land, yeah. and then you know goods and all the normal stuff you expect. But it's from and so I mean we have her taking about a month to get down south. So maybe they were stopping along the way to procure these things in writing or right. agreement to then bring down and say, look, this is. But I like viewing it as. Samtech kind of trying to like secure the country from yeah. this tumult that was happening and it's using this you know adoption ceremony to kind of be like no everything's okay We're, and then we like, have to assume Shep and Wepit the second and Amanir just went back home yeah well Shep and Wepit keeps it until she dies because she's just adopting her yes but then it, it says that she can keep it until she dies. But you don't think she did? I mean, I Or I they suppose, kind of maybe were like co... You know, the, 20, the other thing to remember is that the 25th dynasty as was is now back at Jebel Barkle trying yeah, to become do you want powerful to stay there? again. They, they do try to create a counteroffensive to take back what was theirs. Yeah. They are going to try to take Thebes well, again. It puts Shep and Weapon in a very, very awkward difficult position. spot. Yeah, like, I wouldn't stay there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there, could, there were almost certainly other things going on that these women would have to maybe leave in the dead of night or receive messages from, yeah. from people down south. Or betray south. Yeah. Her, her family to like he, stay in that position and yes. tutor this new girl. We don't know. Does she have to be like, I can't, I have to, you know. What we do know is Samtik, this is Samtik the first. A yep. couple generations later, Samtik the second will go down to Jebel Barkle and drive the final nail yep. into any hopes of Kushite re-infiltration yeah. of Egypt, right? Taking back Egypt again into their imperial, imperial might. And instead they they the Kushite empire expands further south yeah. and they stay, they actually move further south into Meroe. Yeah. 
um, and their, new, their capital moves yeah. further south and that's their, their homeland. But the, these women are there, they find themselves in a, a moment of great um, push and pull. Maybe even feeling abandoned. Maybe. Right? Maybe. Like they're, they're in Thebes. The, their king brother is now pushed out, out and they have this new king who's maybe offering them some semblance of like, I'm not going to kill you. Yeah. And you feel kind of abandoned. And I mean, somebody's got to write a novel called The Last Night Women and Thieves. That's great. That would be a good right? novel. That would mm-hmm. be a good novel. From her perspective. Right? Yeah. And she's there all alone. Yeah. And then the women with lighter skin come in yeah. and take over all. And, and have like all of their wealth and riches. To to take their linen clothing. I mean, all kinds. Take yeah, their your, bed chamber. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can imagine yeah. all of it, yep. right? Um, yep. And the elites are like, whatever. We're, we're done with you. It's yeah, and you're, very you know, you're you're not going to like remarry or something. You're older. Mm-hmm. You've already had kids. Mm-hmm. Like, what what role do you now serve? Maybe just to tutor this new Nitocris in the position and right. get her up to speed. Right. And you're hoping maybe through a friendship or something with her, you can keep safe. Or and Montuem huts in the middle of all mm-hmm. of this. Our fourth high priest yep. slash mayor of yep. Thebes with his giant tomb. Right, with his massive, massive tomb, tomb that he's working on, and he's like, "Look, chicks, I." I have a new mistress Yeah, now, I mean, so. maybe she could have, yeah, because they had that power-sharing relationship. You, you can use your other angles, and it would be really interesting, actually. Wouldn't it? So many, so many players down there. Yeah. And characters. Yeah, call that us up. That would be a great. Jordan and I just developed it here. Write a the, book. the intellectual property has been created <laughs> on this podcast, and um, let it'd us be know. A great it's a story. It would be a great story. Yeah. Yeah. And then the last... God's Wife of Amun we have is Ankh S. Never Ibre. Yeah. That's a mouthful. Yeah. And she's the last one to be adopted and hold this title, but she's also the first person to take the title of High Priest of Amun. Oh, I didn't know that. She takes it. Yeah. High Priestess. She's the first First, priest. First priest of Amun also. Right. And then done. And then the title. And then then it just goes away. It's gone, and it's we gone. move on to um, the. Is it because the Persians have yep, come in? The Persians come in, right? So the Persians and the Persians are aren't. Well, they use their women very effectively too, but in a different, but not, not in, in this way. Not in Egypt. Yeah. They're not going to bring their women into the Egyptian yep. arena. They're going to use different yeah. players, but like Uja Harezna and people like yeah, that. Yeah, right. I, I in um, Miramayad, she argues that the Persians you know, women didn't hold these religious roles. But they did in their homeland. They held so great... I was wondering because I was yeah. like, I want to ask a Persian specialist of, because I don't know a lot about women in, in Achaemenid Persia. Well, we and have stuff. those in abundance. So we could ask Professor Rahim Shayagan about this. And I've talked to him about it, that within the, the ancient Iranian homeland, women connected to the royal house were very much like 18th dynasty okay. women. They were repositories of wealth, of political power, but a little softer and mm-hmm. less um, threatening. Um, they could fund armies. I mean, th- mm. these women had had great power. They could be kingmakers. They yep. could they could put sons on the throne. They could remove um, uh, power holders in certain regions of their of their empire. They they were they were really powerful. But Egypt is far. And you don't want to do that necessarily to one of those precious women of yeah. your inner circle. Just strand her out there. No, they're that not going to send her out to Thebes. What the hell is Thebes to them? 
when they have all of Asia to rule, yeah. why would you send one of your most precious women out to this backwater mm-hmm. in Northeast you Africa? You don't care do about it. the priesthood. No. Just keep the priesthood going and yeah. it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's our last. No, you need collaborateurs like yeah. Richard Herezna and people like military. that. Military. Yeah, exactly. You're worried exactly. more about military rebellion and things. Yeah. Um, so then we can speak about the legacy of of this title and right. um, of the God's Wife. So we obviously we talked a little bit about the chapels at Menet Habu and a lot of architectural innovations. The we sarcophagi, see the sarcophagi. Right, we have some the earliest. I think one of the one of the sources I was looking at said arguably the first in one of the chapels of an actual true um, like barrel arch. Oh, um, if depending on how you like define I think some that of these is terms. True. I think I've read that. Um, yeah. So a lot of like architectural innovations happening um, as well. Obviously, you can track this, which I'm very interested in, into Nubian history mm-hmm. that they take a lot of this back with them to Nubia um, when they're pushed out and that you have later kings of Meroe mentioning six women in his family holding this title. Right. So it becomes a, it's you know, a lineage. prestigious it continues on. title yeah. to mention um, within Kushite Meroitic mm-hmm. culture. Um, and then even a lot of the titles and uh, epithets are used by later Ptolemaic queens. So we still have a cultural memory um obviously the role doesn't last but but you pointed out the very practical need of a king to have a partner mm-hmm. in power who is not threatening yes and the ptolemies do that in spades right that's that's their modus operandi yeah, it's a bread and butter exactly that's there to throw in all kinds of little, <laughs> uh, sayings. another metaphor exactly but they're there's all this brother-sister marriage, often full brother-sister mm-hmm. marriage, sometimes half, um, more incestuous unions in the Ptolemaic 300-year dynasty than any other, um, this Macedonian non-Egyptian dynasty. And it, how much of that is a legacy of the office of the God's wife of Amun is not really known. It's it's interesting. But if you're thinking about women in ideological positions, mm-hmm. that would be a good one to kind of look back to and, you know, what titles are being used, what epithets... How are they being depicted in relation to the gods? And One wonders during the Ptolemaic dynasty when Upper Egyptians were often acting in competition with the Macedonian power in the north, mm-hmm. the colonialization in mm-hmm. the north. Mm-hmm. One wonders if there was female ideological power installed in temples that we don't have as much evidence of or that... But mm-hmm. I, I don't know of anything like this. It would be um, from Edfu, Dendera, yeah. Philae. I haven't, I haven't investigated this. It's not my period. Mm-mm. 3,000 years of history is a lot of history, and we can't be masters of all well, of it. I think, but I don't know yeah, of anything like that. Bringing into the like Greek, Macedonian like women in those, you don't have them as like, high priests, priestesses. But the Mimisi yeah. explodes, you know, you, all true. of these temples have this cult to the mother, cult to the sister and daughter and wife, and the regeneration of the king, the idea of the god's wife being connected to that 
source of the first time of creation and the God's creation, mm -hmm. it explodes. Yep. Whether there's an actual human accompaniment to that in office, I think is is um, interesting. And I haven't yeah. really looked into it to see if maybe you could read in between the lines in That's these Mamisi the... spaces. Or if every temple that has Mamisi had a priestess that would accompany mm -hmm. that space. Part of the rituals or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, we don't have the God the God's Wife's chapels destroyed no. in Menadahabu. No, you don't. So they Absolutely not. stuck around. Yeah. Um, be interesting to see if their like, cult was continued mm -hmm. as well because these spaces were, you know, and still Osiris operating. And chapels yeah. all stand still, still as well. Still operating and yeah. everything. So yeah. it'd be interesting. No, there is quite a legacy. And mm -hmm. you could argue that all of this continues into the ISIS cult yeah. that then goes it's throughout the Roman Empire, that this everywhere. idea of female power is an accompaniment to the masculine god as his protector and his help, helpmate, mm -hmm. um, that this is what, what you see in all of that ISIS cult yeah. material. And what is that connected to but uh, militaristic Roman social power? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a pretty strong Comes legacy. full circle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a great way to look and at then, it. And then, of course, the divine birth in Christianity mm -hmm. is all of this. You know? So then when Christianity role. takes over and spreads like wildfire, it is like an ISIS cult, in a sense. And um, yep. But you cut the female power out of it in, in some ways. Yes, there's, there's your, your abbess and your nun, and they can have power, but disconnected from a... I mean, it's the, it's the same kind of thing mm -hmm. that does continue yeah. in the Roman Catholic Church. I don't know about the Coptic Church. Um, I don't know about the Orthodox Church. I only know my own yeah. my own world, but obviously that female power that is laundered, yeah. <laughs> that is cleaned, in cleansed ways. in a religious way, does absolutely mm -hmm. continue. I don't want to say that it's necessarily a direct legacy, yeah. but it could. I be. think it's more just linked to patriarchal yeah. regimes, and that's yeah. like the only avenue for women. I mean, so much of Christianity power. <laughs> is Egyptian. Yes. Yeah. In its, you know, mother holding Christ mm -hmm. on her lap, the breastfeeding images, the divine birth itself, mm -hmm. those things are Egyptian. I mean, the earliest Christian stuff is all from Egypt. Yes. And and there's a melding of those religious ideas. Yeah. So the idea of the God's wife of Amun as Virgin Mary having a legacy that big, I, I'd go for it. There was, you know, when's the last... I mean, we always debate this, like, when did Egyptian religion stop? Mm -hmm. But there had to have been practices still around where, you know, Coptics were Gnostics and were in Egypt. Yeah. And, yeah. and these ideas. Was swimming around and you were seeing the temples and they lived in the tombs. and Yeah. Yeah. Or just when you look at the Gospels and, and I don't know exactly which ones um, this is in when the tomb is open and Jesus is dead. Or the women who take Jesus down from the cross. Mm -hmm. They're they're the Jerit. Yes. They're the ones who are surrounding him and protecting mm -hmm. him in his most vulnerable moment that. before he remakes himself. The women are the key. That's Egyptian. They're the ones who put him in the tomb. Yes. They're the ones that notice he's gone yes. and that he's risen. It's not a man. Yeah. It's women. Yeah. His mother and They cleanse him, Mary, anoint him, yeah. wrap him like a mummy. They're like the key players, just like Isis is yes. the key player in Osiris's yes. resurrection. Oh Without God. her. Yes. He wouldn't have resurrected because she has to form a penis and mount it and make him again. <laughs> That's true. And Jesus must resurrect himself only after he is put into yeah, that perfected state role. by the women. Yeah. 
and they guard the tomb. They make sure they. And they're they, the ones who notice he's gone and are like, "Hey, uh huh, <laughs> the tomb's empty." Yeah, right. Yeah, they're the ones who weep for him and yeah. mourn him, and and the mourning those tears. That's what helps him in some ways mm-hmm. to become revivified. Um, yeah. They are the God's hand. <laughs> Look, at us. Look at us relate. It's perfect. It's perfect. It's perfect. perfect. Oh my goodness! So much regeneration. It's Great. Any, any final thoughts on God's wives? Um, always a fun I mean, topic. I think we blew that one up yeah. um, into, you know, all kinds of um, Christian mythology, which, yeah. which I think really works. And mm-hmm. this, this goddess mythology that is visible in every single um, Christian church yep. that has imagery. So, yeah, Christianity is, lovely, is, is um, polytheistic in practice. And amazingly ancient. Yeah. It's always... So fun, like when you read something as an Egyptologist, you're like, oh, that's the same thing as in Egypt. Yeah, <laughs> exactly yeah. the same. And yeah. having not grown up. And the, and the crackdowns are the same. Mm-hmm. So you have all of this female power in early Christianity, all of these female priests and, and all of this institutionalization of female power. And then, you know, the, the men come along yep. and they quash nope, it all and they no remove more. it. And then you have this celibate priesthood that did not exist at the beginning. And, and you know, just yeah. all of this push and pull between where power comes from and how you um, control it. It's, it's very interesting to and... see the ups and downs of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Super cool. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, we hope you all enjoyed this. Yeah, we had fun. That we was fun. fun. I thought we thought of some new insights on, yeah. the, on the fly. Very cool. And I think... Some of the literature out there should be revised because I think we've messied it a bit. Yeah. Um, you know, especially with the Persian stuff of why the office ended. I think that could be looked into a lot more closely. What I would say is that there are, it seems like the gods, wives of Amun have been done. I would disagree. I think if you're going to embed these women into larger geopolitical strategies and schemes, there is so much you could do if you look at them through the lens of power. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is so much you could do if you look at them through a lens of economy yeah. or military. And and Not much just more like, Iron Age work. This is the ritual they did. Yeah. yeah. Or Bronze Age work if you're looking at the 17th, 18th yeah. dynasty. Or a comparison of militaristic schemes and using female power. Or or uh, religiously laundering and purifying. I think there's a lot of mm-hmm. research that could that could be done on this on For this sure. time period. Yeah, there's not too much. Cool. There's a, you know a couple choice cases, and I think mm-hmm. people think, like you said, it's done. Nothing else to be done with it. But yeah. I think there's plenty. Mm-hmm. All right, awesome. That was, that was fun. fun. Thank you. Yeah, we will see you guys next time. This is After Lives with Kara Cooney. Yay. Thank you to our listeners for your support and for subscribing wherever you listen. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with others and leave us a five-star review. Send us your questions related to the show and topic suggestions for future episodes to karakuni at gmail.com. You can find the show notes in the podcast section of my website, karakuniegyptologist.com. For that, thank you, Amber Myers-Wells. There you'll also find info on my books and upcoming lectures. While you're there, don't forget to sign up for my newsletter to keep up on the latest news and content from me. Check out the conversations that happen after the podcast mic is turned off by subscribing to our Substack After Lives After Party. You can find me on Facebook at Kara Cooney Egyptologist and on Twitter and Instagram at Kara Cooney. 
see you next time on Afterlives with Kara Cooney.